The views expressed in the podcast you are about to listen to are the opinions of the presenter and the cast. None of us are official representatives of the companies we work for, and we are in no way responsible for what we say. If you are offended or otherwise afflicted by these opinions, please push the unsubscribe button in iTunes and go do something else. Animation Conversation Podcast for August 25th, 2008. I'm Alan Dahl and I'll be guiding you through the show. Today, the long-awaited interview with Keith Lango. We've been sitting on this for a while, and the reason for that is simply that the summer in Norway is short these days, and we had to make the most of it. But now we're back, and we have much planned for the winter to come. This interview turned out to be a bit long, so we decided to divide it into two parts. You will be hearing the first today. We could have released this as a two-hour file, but we figured that that might be a bit too much, even for the biggest fans of Keith. Let me know what you think. Part two will be out in... not that long. Before the interview starts, we would like to remind you to head on over to the animationconversation.com website. There won't be too much to add to the show notes this time, apart from maybe a link to Keith's blog. But we encourage you to write comments to the show there so that we can improve. Another thing we want to address this time is the fact that the quality of the sound still isn't what we want it to be. This is partly due to the show being recorded in different environments nearly every time, and the fact that we don't have the money for the right equipment necessary to raise the bar. So if you want to help us up with that, please donate a few bucks. It will be greatly appreciated. You will find a donate link in the show notes. We are also looking for a sponsor for the show. So if you own or know someone who owns an animation related company who would want to advertise with us, don't hesitate to email us at feedback at animationconversation.com. And you probably know by now that that is the same email address where you would want to send us tips for the show. Oh, and one last thing before we start. I would like to send out a big thank to Keith Lango's kids, Candice, Laura and John Mark for staying off the internet while we were recording this. Thanks to you, the Skype connection worked flawlessly throughout the interview. Here is the 8th Animation Conversation podcast, recorded June 27th, 2008. Enjoy! Hi Keith, how are you? Hi Erland, or is it Erland? Uh, you can choose whatever you find most pleasing to your tongue. <laughs> oh no, it's Erland. So how you doing? It's actually Alan. Oh wow! Ah, oh, but that's too much. That's it's like it's like ah, an accident. Uh, okay. Yeah. Alan. Oh really? Okay, I get it. Yeah, I have a few questions for you. Um, I guess we could start with the beginning. Uh, sure. You could tell us about your childhood. I bet you grew up in a small farm in Texas and milking cows and all that stuff, right? Um, actually, no. I, I grew up in uh, upstate New York in Buffalo, right on the Canadian border. 
Um, shoveling snow. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Yep, almost, almost. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and you should tell us about. Uh, did you have like a TV? Did you watch morning cartoons? All that stuff. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. When it when it comes to to TV, I didn't I didn't really watch a lot of it. Um, as a kid, my brother was more the TV fiend, uh, but. When I uh, when I watch television, I generally stuck to the cartoons. Uh, Saturday morning with um, the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show, that's ninety minutes of classic Warner Brothers Golden Age cartoons. Yeah, pretty much just jammed down your throat every Saturday morning. That was uh, your education. Pretty much, yeah. That was that was uh, the height of you know. I got a high school degree from Warner Brothers. No, actually, <laughs> uh, but that's. That's not true. That's just me watching too much cartoons. Yeah. But yeah, that's when it came when it came to um, you know getting my my head around animation. That was the touchstone. That was the the groundwork of where I came from. Um, mm. And we, you know, back when I was a kid, Disney movies didn't come out. You know, they weren't out on DVD. You couldn't, you know, didn't see them on TV every other week. Mm. Um, it was you know every four or five years was a new movie. Yeah, and occasionally every two or three years they would bring one out of the vault and and rerun it. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think the last time I saw, as a kid, I think the last one I saw as a as a kid that was re-released was Song of the South. The last time they released it, hmm. uh, I've never so, seen it. Yeah, it's actually pretty pretty well made little film, and it's fun. But you know, these days they don't they don't show it to anybody because they consider it racist. But yeah. uh, I never really got that sense, you know, and I didn't. I didn't yeah. grow up in the South. I grew up in, you know, in the North near Canada. Yeah, uh, they're oversensitive to that stuff now. So yeah, and and we weren't really, we didn't find it particularly offensive at all. Um, mm -hmm. We just found it really fun. Yeah. Uh, and the real sad thing about it is, you know, everybody has this idea that Disney does a soft and cuddly animation that isn't wild and extreme like the guys at Warner Brothers do. But if you watch the animation from Song of the South, it's every bit as crazy as the stuff that the guys over at Warner's would do. Hmm. It's it's you know you're like Milt Call did that, <laughs> and yeah. and it's really really good stuff. But yeah, there you go. So uh, what about anim like? Did, do you have any education, animation education? No, not really. What happened in between then and now? Um, it kind of fumbled along. I was always drawing as a kid, but not very well. I do more doodling than drawing. Mm -hmm. But. Um, you know, growing up in a steel town in in the Rust Belt of the United States, uh, people don't. It never crosses your mind that human beings make cartoons. It, mm -hmm. it just it's like it, they just exist. You know, great. Yeah. I'm watching cartoons, and nobody would say if somebody asks you who makes those, you're like, I don't know, somebody, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. But the concept of ever being somebody who could make cartoons or do animation for a living never crossed my mind. It was no. not even remotely. It just wasn't something that existed in our universe, you know. The idea was you'll grow up, you'll go, you get a good blue collar job, maybe, or you know, if you work real hard and go to college, you might be a manager someplace, or mm -hmm. you know, it was just it was just a different kind of way of looking at things. It's not like uh, growing up in Southern California where you're around the movie business and it's a reality. When you grow up, you know, on the other side of the country, yeah. you're a world away. It's you might as well say, are you going to grow up and live in India? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. So, um, really, the idea of being an animator never crossed my mind. So I didn't go to school for it. I didn't study it. Um, Were you a child and, of the the like the computer age, or did you do any two D animation? 
before. No, I'm you know I'm almost forty. So I mean, I was born in '69. So by the time I graduated high school, uh, Pixar hadn't even made Tin Toy yet. <laughs> um, Luxo Junior might have been the same year I graduated high school. Might not have been. So you never had you know, a Commodore 64 or anything like that. I I did have um, a Commodore as a kid, and I would just use it to do. Um, some basic programming just to make colors and shapes. I don't know why. I mean, yeah. I ended up using it more as a video game thing than anything else. Um, but no, I didn't have an I didn't have an Amiga or any of those old school boat anchor kind of things where, you know, I just it just wasn't something I was into. In fact, I remember being younger and somebody asking me, "Well, you ever think about a career in computers?" And I, I thought, at I can't think of a worse way to spend my time <laughs> because you know my memory of computers was junior high school basics class you know the basic programming language and i hated it i was just like this i i can't, i don't understand it i'm not good at math this doesn't work for me so i had this idea for gosh for quite some time that computers were not something that were going to function for me um and it never really dawned on me that you could actually do anything on a computer that was worthwhile um, artistically until I was 24 years old. So, um. yeah, but I think a lot of your generation has the same had the same idea. I think I don't think anyone really thought about using for computers for anything else than typing until yes. the mid 90s. Yeah, and that, that's really what it was. It was just a it was a fancy typewriter or something you wrote to, yeah. you know add up you know all your hours you worked at the factory or something i, I don't know but it's uh yeah yeah it wasn't really anything that dawned on me i didn't really have any um second level or university level training in anything i got married rather young we had a kid right away much mm -hmm. to our surprise and so i spent you know my young adult years pretty much just working three jobs i mean and you name it i did it you know remove asbestos from condemned buildings deliver oh, really? pizzas Oh man, I could tell you stories. <laughs> I mean, I, I've done all different kinds of things, you know. And, and people say, "Oh gosh, you know," I hear these kids in school wondering and worrying about what they're going to do. I'm thinking, dude, you don't know the half of it. Um, yeah, things just and, happen. Yeah, yeah. And it was when, um, again, when I was 24, um, my wife's friend, her husband owned a, a landscape company, and mm -hmm. he had this idea. After visiting his brother in Chicago, he saw these uh, real estate newspapers called for sale by owner. Because mm -hmm. in the states, you know, everybody hires a real estate agent, but you got to pay six percent commission. So there's these people that want to just sell their house without a real estate agent, mm -hmm. and so they had this magazine called for sale by owner. Well, he he thought that was a really great idea. He wanted to start one up in the town we were living in in upstate New York, mm -hmm. and he says, "I'll make you a deal. I'm around all the time." Um, I see all these houses for sale by owner because my landscape business takes me by them. I'll sell the ads and you put the paper together. Mm. He says, you're a creative type. You write and I've seen some of your art, so it shouldn't be that bad. And I'm like, um, <laughs> sure, sounds good. So we got a, a borrowed a Mac Classic from his dad who yep. worked at uh, the university and got us some PageMaker software. And um, that and a lot of time at Kinko's, I learned how to do desktop publishing and Photoshop and I learned uh, mm. print and all that stuff. And as I was doing all that, I was basically making so many mistakes. I had to go from – I had to go through three different service bureaus in the city before I finally settled on one who wouldn't, who wouldn't kick me out or who wouldn't refuse my work <laughs> uh, because you know I didn't know anything about you know, dots per inch or lines per inch. I didn't know anything. 
And so I was just going and I was just making this stuff and I'd take it to the service provider and, and, and they're just like, you know, this isn't, this isn't how it works. You know, you got to do this, this, and this. And after about three jobs, each of them said, you know, until you figure out what you're doing, we don't want to do any more of your stuff. <laughs> Okay. So you know, youth and and uh, naivete gets you pretty far in this world. Yeah. Um, so but what, that, what was that, the revelation? And like, yeah, that that venture failed after about seven months. Not because of my my failures. I I learned how to put stuff together and do graphics, and I learned Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And um, but he was very poor at selling. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, as it turned out, there was a the newspaper in town, the big city paper, um, had a position in their ad department for an ad paste up and creation guy. So yeah. I went and applied, showed him the stuff I had done. He said, great, yeah, come work for us. And we were working on slightly better Mac classics there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, was, that was a fun gig. But while I was there, I, I was exposed to um, Strata Studio Pro. Okay. And this guy who had just come out of college had it and was showing me something. When is this? He was, this is uh, what I'm sorry. What was the question? When is this? Ninety three, okay. ninety four, maybe. Yeah. Um, so this guy, he shows me this tiny. He's doing like a little, a rendering of uh, of an Egyptian golden head mummy thing and it's literally 72 pixels by 72 pixels and it's taking forever to render yeah and i'm just sitting there looking at this thing we work late night shift and i was just looking i'm like that is so cool <laughs> and so that's when i kind of got the hook i was like i i want to do that i want to do that for whatever that cool thing is i want and i got really pulled into it so not too long after that my wife was working at um uh, a hospital associated with a university, mm-hmm. and I could get you know the student university discounts on software and, and computer stuff. So, um, took out a small loan, went and bought myself a Macintosh computer, um, some software, mm-hmm. a little bit of RAM. Classic. Um, this <laughs> might have been, I think it might have been um, an AV eight forty. You know, it wasn't a classic. Yeah. It was a little bit further along by then. Um, and I sh- turned it in shortly after that for the very first generation Power PC. I think it was a oh yeah, sixty six megahertz. I can't yeah. remember the names of it, but it was. I was like, yes, I have power. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I remember those. Yeah. yeah. So I, I got a copy of Strata Studio Pro, Infinity, um, PageMaker because I you know I was doing freelance uh, illustration yeah, and yeah. Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And so those, and I think I was Photoshop version two, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, somewhere around that time. Yeah. And then I just dove in and mm. just started hammering away around my other jobs because I still had other work to do, and you know, just just mm-hmm. dove in. So, what was your first animation gig? Um, first animation gig. Let's see. That would probably be. I was working in a small little place called Replica Technologies in upstate New York. These guys were old Amiga guys, and um, they were lightwave Amiga guys, and they were making uh, model libraries that they sold on CD to architectural guys using lightwave. And uh, so I I had a job there, and they were making, I guess you would call it an entertainment section of these things. Anyways, I, I ended up building out a bunch of Frank Lloyd Wright houses and furniture, 
mm-hmm. you know, recreating it textures and, and the spaces and stuff. And I also did um, a medieval castle based off of, oh, I don't know, some castle in Scotland. Mm-hmm. But anyways, he thought these, you know, these things were really cool to show them off. He wanted to, you know, the very first thing he wanted me to do is just fly through it. And I'm like, I've never made anything move before. Yeah. Uh, so I went through there and learned how to move a camera around. And then I said, hey, this thing's pretty cool. And I tried to do um, a run cycle at home in Infinity. And anybody who just, I mean, if you've been around long enough and you hear words run cycle and Infinity together, you start laughing. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, it's just, it was not it was not something that was easy to do. Oh. And I got real discouraged by it. I thought, man, this, this, is, this is real hard. But you, but, wanted, you wanted to do like character animation right away? Um, right away? No, I didn't even, the idea of doing character animation on a computer wasn't really... Again, all these things kind of come to me slowly. Yeah. Um, just as you, as I get ex- exposed to the idea, the possibility, I'm like, oh, you can do that. Yeah. I'm not a very bright guy, I guess. But yeah, but I remember those times, and and I did some stuff in Lightwave and all those programs, but I I don't remember anyone doing any character animation. Everyone was just making spaceships, and you know. Yeah. And that's 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 really what it was because it was it was before Toy Story, so. Yeah. The idea of doing something with a character, nobody was thinking of that. I mean, well, very few people were thinking of it. Um, but, you know, when Toy Story came out in late 1995, everybody's eyes were open. Like, holy cow, you can do that? Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, Toy Story was the birth of a lot of animators. And I was tinkering around with it before then. But when I saw it, I said, no, that's what I want to do. I want to tell stories. So... Were there any books that were out that you could read? Oh, gosh, no. Um, there was The Illusion of Life, but I didn't know anything about that because um, I was never much of a Disney person growing up. You know, the Warner thing was really all I knew. And, and, and I didn't really know where to look for any education in this stuff. This was you know, about the closest thing I had to an education is, you know, 1994, AOL was pretty sizable, and we had um, – the 3D special interest group chats on Thursday nights. And um, we'd get in there and all different kinds of people from all, you know, people working in film, some people working in other studios, some people just like me, a lot of people like me, just, you know, just kind of hacking their way through it at home, some print guys. It was a really neat, you know, hodgepodge of people. And each Thursday night, we'd just get in there and chat and we'd kind of, bounce stuff around and nobody had web pages then you know it's 94 and only like really serious geek people had web pages um but that's the closest thing i had to that and and um through that struck up a friendship with a couple of guys and and spent time on the phone and every now and then we'd send each other a tape or you know email a quick time or something but it was um so you probably didn't even know what a run cycle was when you made one no, I if somebody had said to me run cycle, I'm like, what's that? This is yeah. just a guy running. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I just I just tried to to make stuff move. Did you and do like skeletons and stuff like that in that software? No, there was no such thing as bones. Bones, yeah. It was just it was just shapes that were in hierarchy. There was no inverse kinematics. There was, yeah. um, yeah, this stuff back then was pretty primitive. You know, yeah. at least. If you wanted to get good character animation stuff, you were spending thirty grand up. Yeah, I think you know? I used like Deluxe Paint and those those programs on the Amiga to do uh, 
primitive animation, but that was just moving balls around and like squares and (laughs) (laughs) simple stuff. That's pretty much all you're doing in in that too. You're just making spheres and blocks and trying to, you know, make it look like it's a guy. Yeah. We should probably move on. Yeah, sure. Because uh, this is like walking down memory lane, so we could probably talk for a couple of hours about that. I remember back in the day. <laughs> exactly. Back when you were in diapers. <laughs> so uh, your first uh, professional work, what was that? Oh, my gosh. Professional animation? Yeah. Um, huh, for character, anyways. Uh, probably be 96 when I was... Uh, hired at a studio to um, to make character animations to to show off um, how to operate various um, airline safety equipment mm. uh, for airport screeners and stuff like that. We worked at the company um, Safe Passage, and uh, <clears throat> they had this huge database of uh, X-ray imagery. And these are old; these are retired guys from the sheriff's department. Who were in the bomb squad. And they had this database, so they made this this software company that had training software for airline security people around the world. Mm. And it was this old text-based, you know, uh, you know, question and answer sort of thing. And so what they wanted to do is kind of jazz it up a bit and make it more interactive and more graphically pleasing. So they hired me as one of the guys that do that. And amongst you know all the virtual environments and actually interface building and some programming and director and all that stuff, they also had me do character animation to show. Okay, here's how you wave somebody down with a magnetic wand. Here's what you do here. Pick up this. This is how you pat somebody down. Really, really dumb basic stuff, but it was characters moving, so I was happy. Yeah. And and um, how did you come into doing movies and series and stuff like that? Like the VeggieTales um, and that stuff? Right. Yeah, I, was, I started making my own shorts um, shortly after that because I've always had – you know, ever since I was a kid, I was writing or telling ghost stories at camp or something. To me, that's the story that matters. Mm-hmm. Animation's a neat way to tell stories, mm-hmm. um, but to me, it was always been about telling a story. So I got into telling my own stories relatively quickly after I learned that hey, I can make this stuff move and look like it's alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had made a couple of short films, and I had had opportunities. Um, probably in '97, had a couple of offers to go out to LA and work on some projects out there, but. And in 98, I had some other opportunities, but I just, it never seemed right. I didn't want to live in LA. We had two kids. It was just like, you know, we're a young family. It's just, LA scared me. So I said, no, it's not what we want to do. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, kept doing freelance, um, had my own little business where I was just doing stuff, some interactive things. And mm-hmm. I was, what's that? My phone's ringing. I'm going to go ahead and hang that up, ignore it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I just didn't want to just didn't want to go to LA. So I had opportunities to get into film mm-hmm. earlier. But I, uh, 1998, late 98, uh, Big Idea Productions. Uh, somebody there contacts me out of the blue and says, "Hey, we we saw your stuff." By then, I had a web page, and oh. they said, "Hey, we we saw your stuff. We really liked it, and uh, we're wondering if you're interested in coming to work for us. We're growing, and we need people." And I talked it over with my wife and went and visited them. And since it was Chicago and not Los Angeles, we said, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. <laughs> so that was that was my first, quote-unquote, real studio gig, but mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't my first opportunity to have a real studio gig. It was just the first one yeah. that I felt fit yeah. us. Yeah, because that's a big step to take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that uh, what was the name of that? Was that? And that was Big uh, Idea Productions. They're the folks who did Veggie Tales. Oh, okay. 
yeah i didn't know that and then and then you did the the great cheese squeeze the book is that later or yeah that was later it was uh it was at big idea i did that with a friend of mine who worked there the brian ballinger Mm -hmm. and uh he and I would try, ride the train in together from work because we lived near each other out in the booyahs, <laughs> um, western suburbs. And, and Chicago has a great train system, so we'd ride the train to work. So it's 40 minutes every morning uh, and 40 minutes again in the afternoon where we would just you know, entertain ourselves with these goofy yeah. characters and story. And we just ended up riding the dumb thing on the train. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's available on Amazon, I, I saw. So Yeah. Yeah, for about four bucks or something like that. Yeah, well, you know, anything that's older than a couple of years is pretty cheap on Amazon. Yeah. But it sold pretty well. Um, yeah. It was a ton of work. Yeah, um, but you had all sold... the characters, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we 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 built the whole thing out, and we still have all the assets. I had written um, a short film screenplay uh, screenplay adaptation of that of that book, mm. and we were actually talking with Big Idea about maybe moving forward. And putting that into the studio to kind of, because there was a pu- there was a push at the time in the studio to kind of expand their skills and, you know, there was a they've always been trying to move past veggies because it's just you know they don't want to be a one trick pony. Um, veggies was very profitable, but you know they they knew that well you can only ride that for so long. Yeah. But they never really quite yeah they never really quite popped out of that and but and the screenplay never went anywhere and we have. I think at least one more story completely written and another one in outline form, but mm. the publisher just decided this wasn't something we wanted to do anymore, even though it sold pretty well, you know. Yeah. Just gotta wait for another generation. Yeah. Kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> um so and then you moved on to work for Disney or was that Yeah, I worked yeah, after Big Idea kinda went down the toilet financially, you know, and they filed bankruptcy. Hmm. They were outsourcing everything before that and uh, laying tons and tons of people off. I mean, it was just, it was a terrible time to just every three months, another wave of layoffs and you wondered if you were next. Hmm. And I survived, I think five, maybe six different layoff cycles. Um, But I finally said, you know, this is too much. It's killing me. So I took a job at Blur Studio as an animation supervisor and director out there. And so um, while we were there, um, Disney had hired Blur, outsourced them to make the Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas DVD. Mm-hmm. So um, I was there. What did you do on that? What did I do? I worked um, primarily on the Mickey's Doggone Christmas, which is the story where Pluto goes running away because Mickey gets mad at him. And so mm. Pluto runs away to the North Pole and yeah. meets up with Santa and Reindeer, and Mickey's out to find him. I think. All told, I did about two minutes of animation on that, or one and a half, two minutes of animation on it. How's quite a the bit. time? How's the time frame on on that? With the, it was with okay, the, like seconds a day. Yeah, the it's really hard to nail that down because the way they ran it was very, very different than what anything I've ever done anywhere else. Um, oh. Because it, well, one, it was the first big cartoon character animation project in the studio. Then Blur had done a lot of things before, but it was mostly motion capture. Mm-hmm. Um, and for their own cinematics, <clears throat> Disney's way of doing things was a little bit different. You know, since it was outsourced, they wanted to see, um, you know, like a blocking pass, and it would come in, and then their directors and supervisors would review it and send it back with notes, and then it would be a spline pass, or I guess it didn't really differentiate, but then it would be a cleanup pass, and then there was a final pass. So you had these three stages, 
but you never really owned a shot or rarely owned a shot the whole all the stages um <clears throat> i guess the way they wanted to do project management at the time and i think it's just a matter of inexperience yeah they uh they would assign um let's say they would sign you the blocking on a shot and it would it would get then once you were kind of done blocking it it would go to disney and it would be there like 6 weeks wow and then when it came back um you might have been busy on another shot so they'd give me your shots with the cleanup notes so I would have to take your scene the way and get my head around what you had done wow. and also the cleanup notes and then send that back and it would be there another six weeks and then it would come back and you and I might be busy so they might give it to somebody else to do the, the polish on it. Hmm. So it owning a shot, you know, from start to finish wasn't a very common thing. Um and a lot of times what happened was, at least for me, the stuff would come back and I'd 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 get somebody's second pass, and the notes for changing it were so drastic. I'd end up just throwing everything away and just redoing it, hmm. um, just because it was. It would have taken more time and more energy to try and take what was there, and turn it into what they wanted. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was really hard to know how much time you had to work on something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they said it ended up being like six seconds a week or something, but hmm. heck, if I had known, all I know is we're just animating. <laughs> Yeah, that, that sounds like a strange approach. Yeah, especially yeah, if, if you're looking at someone else's shot and you, and you're like you're trying to figure out how it's been working in the graph editor and everything. That can oh, be really yeah. hard because people well, have different ways of working. If it had been in a graph editor, that would have been great. But everything was Character Studio, so it was that you know TCB stuff, and it was just oh. it was biped and Character Studio. I can't believe we did what we did because you know all those rigs were biped rigs huh. and my gosh I want to talk about that was crazy but it was it was what they knew and it's what they had and yeah. and you know we we did what we could with it and i think it ended up looking okay i mean yeah. could it have been better sure everything could be better but um i think it, well, it was great. all right yeah well yeah i think i think it looks for what it was and what we what we did and how much experience was in this you know for just cartoon character animation and running yeah. a project that big because um, that was the biggest project up until that point the studio had ever had. So project management was mm. flying blind. We were all just kind of making it up as we went along. So yeah. it's pretty good. But it must be cool to have to have done something like that and be on like I've been animating a Disney character. Yeah, yeah. That is it is kind of neat to to look back and say, hey, I got Mickey Mouse on my reel. Yeah. <laughs> um, and exactly. that's that's kind of neat. And you, you, I developed um, a kind of appreciation for the characters because growing up, I never really thought much of the Disney stuff. It always kind of bored me, mm. um, just because you know I was, a, I guess, the short attention span kind of person. I like the the energy and the violence and this insanity of the the Warner Brothers stuff. And Disney yeah. always seemed kind of a little cutesy to me, but mm. you know, there's a quieter side to it that I came to appreciate. Um, but probably the best part about that job was. Um, being exposed to these um, traditional Disney animators who oh. were just, they were our supervisors, they were on-site supervisors, they were giving us notes, um, they were coming in and giving us lectures. I mean, there was a lecture on oh. Reyes Deja came in and gave us a two-hour lecture. Uh, we had, <clears throat> excuse me, we had Chris Buck on site as an animation supervisor. He was co-director of, of Tarzan. Yeah. Had Eric Layton, who was our, our second on-site um, animation supervisor he he'd been an old stop motion guy worked a ton on um, nightmare before christmas and then he went and he was at um 
Disney's CG studio doing Dinosaur, and then he came to do this. And after he finished this, he went on to do King Kong. So, you know, being exposed to those guys, getting notes back from guys like T. Dan Hofstede and Deja, and just <laughs> it was like um, really, really, it was like going to school and getting paid for it. Yeah. It was really good. Um, just because these guys were, are around and the notes they give they gave back were they were all drawing notes and they would take it was really great they would take printouts of your animation and then they would do layovers with their with their pencils and they would actually yeah. draw on top to show you how to make your poses better or stronger how to make your arcs better um, and it was just it was, it was like I said it was like going to school for free I've actually seen getting, some I, I, I saw some um Stuff that Brad Bird did for uh, some, I think it was probably for Simpsons or something like that, where he did mm -hmm. the exact same thing. Thing, it's yeah. just the way they think, so it feels more, uh, or easy, more easy for them yeah. to do it like that. It's a, it's a, it is the way that notes were made in in animation for you know decades. Yeah. Did you keep <laughs> any of those notes? Yeah, I have some around here. Yeah, I do. Put them on uh, eBay. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I like them because yeah. they're good to go back over and remind myself of some of the principles and things. So it's, yeah. you know, it's kind of like it's in my collection mm -hmm. of things that you know I'm feeling kind of <clears throat> a little dry and need a little inspiration. Uh, I leaf through it, but it was, it was really eye-opening because coming up through CG, you know, the concept of what, how to animate. You know, it was just kind of like 2D is this different universe. We don't do things that way anymore. This is all new, the computer. Um, and really, it was like there were two worlds, and, and they never really talked to each other. And that was my first uh, – it wasn't my first. It was my second opportunity to kind of see the crossover. My first exposure to the world of 2D was at Big Idea because we had hired um, – while we were at Big Idea, hired a number of traditional animation guys from Disney uh, to come up. And so we had guys like Tim Hodge, who was an animator and storyboard guy. We had Tom Bancroft, who was um, a lead animator on a number of films. He was the he was the the character lead on Mushu for Mulan. Mm. Um, and we just had Dan Warzazek came in from Disney as well. So we had some we had some traditional guys who had come into the studio and were kind of learning CG. And it was kind of neat to kind of show them how to do stuff on the computer and also have them show us like, you know, how to animate like yeah. the real way. <laughs> uh, and so that was, that was my first exposure to it. The second exposure of course was the twice upon a Christmas stuff. And that was like getting thrown in the deep end, but it was great. I mean, I knew that by the, by the end of that project, I was a much better animator than when I started. Yeah. Had you started to develop your own techniques by then, or is that something that you, that you did later? Or No, I mean, I had started, I mean, the, the very first time I had, kind of developed my workflow a little bit was probably late 90s. Um, I remember having a conversation with um, Rick May, who's a guy who runs CG Character List, and uh, he was talking about this idea of doing poses and, mm. you know, just doing poses and doing <laughs> things in step. Yeah, it was <laughs> in incredible, uh, at least in the world of CG, because every up till then, everybody was just, you know, scrubbing and doing splines and it was just, you know, and a lot of people still think that way, oh, yeah. but it was, it was always something that I was a, it was a struggle to me, but he had this idea of just doing these poses that were held. And I thought, well, that's really neat. So kind of played around with it, kind of developed it to, it got it working to where I was comfortable with it and understood it. And so, um, somebody said, you know, 
you want to show me how to do that? And, and I started writing it up for him. And then that turned into the, the tutorial that went on my site. Mm. It kind of kicked everything off for the education side of things. You know, so I wrote that eight, nine years ago now. Yeah. Um, oh, so that, I had, is that the document that's on your site? Yeah, yeah, the pose to pose. Yeah. yeah, organized keyframes. Yeah, that that was something I wrote probably a year after, maybe a year or two after I kind of tinkered around with the the that was something that I I felt really really comfortable with that I could share. And then since then, you know, of course, my my approach is, has evolved even more. And as it evolves, it keeps going more and more towards the traditional side. Yeah, yeah. And I guess when you're coming from the Warner Bros. background, mm -hmm. uh, doing post-to-post -post is really essential. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 really to me. Uh, I like animation. Some people really really enjoy smooth naturalistic motion. It just there's something exciting about it. And when I watch it, it's really cool and it's neat and I appreciate it. But uh, for me, what what's really fun about animating is trying to find the trying to boil it down into a still. Yeah, and I guess that do, comes. From, you could do like a combination of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. The 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 boiling it down into a still comes from the side of me that likes to like to draw, like to to make still images that meant a lot. It comes from my illustration days where you know yeah. you try and boil everything down because it's not moving. You got to get the whole message, the whole energy into a single illustration. And so bringing that over to animation, it's like, how do I get this boiled down into the most condensed way of doing things that really gets the idea across? And when that's good, then you save the the pretty motion for, you know, <laughs> making it making it work. You yeah. Know? So did you see uh Horton or Sue? I did. I did. Yeah. What do you think about that in that sense? Um I thought Technically, a lot of that animation was real groundbreaking stuff for CG. Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, it was it was really fun. Um, they had there was a real strong sense of cartooniness to the motion. Um, so I think on an individual animator's basis, those guys did a great job. Uh, yeah, I was amazed by that movie. What they did. Yeah, there was some really really nice stuff in there. I mean, I have some larger some other issues with the film overall, sure. but. Um, from an animator's standpoint, I thought those guys did fantastic work. I, there was some really neat, solid cartoon thinking there that a lot of yeah. people have wanted to do in CG, but really either didn't know how or didn't have the time or the rigs were yeah. tedious. I mean, I don't know the the secret to their success on that film because I, I was kind of out of the, I was out of the loop there. You know, when I was in Brazil, I was kind of out of contact with a lot of folks, so I didn't really know um, a lot of the details of what went on to that. But it seems to me like they took their time and they did a really good job of getting that flavor of animation. Yeah. And they probably had a good animation director. Probably did. I know they have some real talented animation directors up there. I know that yeah. – uh, and, and their animation supervisors, uh, a number of them are really, really good. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're top-notch guys. They know what they're doing. Yeah. It really felt like the next step somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You did some work on robots, didn't you? Uh, not on a film directly. We did some stuff for um, the short film for the DVD, and oh. I also did some some work for like um, their public service announcements for uh, turn off your phone, phone thing. Yeah, turn off your yeah. mobile phone thing and international yeah. markets. It never played in the states, but it, oh. you know, it, yeah, it was just one of those things where in the states they just didn't do it, but it played everywhere else. 
But that was also a f uh, that was also a fun movie regarding like an animation wise. I thought it was like a it has some really snappy animation to it. Yeah, yeah. From an anim from a motion standpoint, they really went for um, really strong stuff because you know it was it was a progression. Ice Age was was solid work, but you could see where you know just looking back on it, you can kind of see where well, they got a little bit of a little bit of skin, you know, a little bit of fleshing out to do on some of these moves. Yeah. And then I actually saw some early tests of the robot stuff um, of motion and pre, you know, in pre-production, and even that still had some of that leftover stickiness to it. They, you can tell that they were really trying to find a way to make stuff snappy without making mm -hmm. it sticky and hard. Yeah. And then somewhere in production, they found they found the answer to that. You know, they found that uh, it's letting some parts arrive before others, letting other things. You know, it's kind of. Some overlapping action, some uh, a lot of you know extremes and settlebacks, and keeping the moving holds just right, and yeah. it was really just it was a it's a fine line. But once they found it, it you could see it throughout the film. Yeah, uh, you know. So I th I thought from a motion standpoint, it was it was neat to see them kind of make that the next jump. Like yeah. okay, they they figured that out, great. And mm -hmm. then Ice Age two, you know, they went on and they they figured out some more things. You know, with the little Possum Brothers. Um, those guys squirreling around on screen, and uh, those were character designs that really lent themselves to some fun, cartoony stuff. Mm -hmm. It's hard to be, you know. Sid the Sloth was kind of—he was better in, in Ice Age Two from an animation standpoint, um, getting him really flowing. It's mm -hmm. hard to be, you know, really expressive with a big mammoth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they did the best. They, you know, they did really good with that. I thought. I thought they did a really nice job overall in the film. I felt the animation was pretty solid. Yeah. And then. Um, and then, you know, but I think they really jumped off. They used those little possum twin characters from Ice Age 2 as a, as a jump off point for how they're going to handle Horton. Mm. I think they did a really, really good job with it. Yeah, absolutely. And you also did some work on the Ant Bully? Uh, yeah, I worked on that for a year in, yeah. in animation. Yeah. It wasn't the worst movie ever, and it wasn't the best, but what do you, no. were, were you pleased with the result or? I was pleased with the work I did, insofar yeah. as the style went. Um, I, you know, it's it's very common, but when you when you come onto a film, the story is one thing, but by the time the executives get done tweaking it, it's something else. And that's it was a story that had a lot of heart um, earlier on, but as time went by, you know, the, the test screenings weren't getting the laughs they wanted, so they kept mm. on tossing out thing, you know, character motivations and heart. And putting in more gags, and yeah. after a while, it was a movie that wanted to be wanted to be something a little more toned down. But you know, the executives wanted it to be you know Shrek or something. I don't know what yeah, they wanted, but exactly. it was just the vision wasn't there to to keep it on track. But you know, a lot of again, really talented people did some really really nice work on that. Yeah, and um, it's just a bit overproduced, maybe. Mm, yeah, over micromanaged from. From the suits and Warners, yeah. but uh, it's I ended up doing a lot of uh, a lot of acting shots in that, like the quieter shots. It seems to be something that, for as much as I love cartoons, I seem to have this natural knack for the quieter, more sincere, um, deeper moments in a character. So yeah. I ended up getting cast for a lot of pretty nice acting shots. I was I was. I always enjoyed that. I always appreciated that trust because you know they're 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 key storytelling moments, mm. and you know it's I like I like doing the gag and getting the laugh, yeah. But I also 
there's something again it's that storyteller in me that really likes the challenge of okay here's a scene where the character their heart changes mm-hmm. and we got to be able to see that you know that's that's a real challenge and and I've always I was always thankful for the for the confidence they had in me to do it yeah so, uh, so you've worked for a lot of different studios now um, yeah uh, which one was the most fun and which one was the yeah <laughs> the, not. the not the not so fun experiences uh, what's the difference between working on in different studios um well yeah there's some similarities and some differences all around um i really enjoyed my first two to three years of big idea because it was the energy was growth and excitement and trying new things and you know, when we started up the three, two, one penguins project, it was you know twelve guys in a room starting from scratch on a property, yeah. and it was like we were, it was like our own little termite terrace. We even named the room Antarctica because you know <laughs> it's penguins and stuff. Yeah. And the rest of the company was just like, well, those guys up in Antarctica, you know, they're just doing their own thing. We had our own workflow, our own. We we're just doing everything from scratch while the big veggie crew was off doing you know the big shows. We were working on mm-hmm. the low budgets, and and it was really. There's some amazing people in that room, people who have since gone on to do some, you know, incredible things in the business. And it was it was like the perfect storm of of a bunch of guys at just the right time in their career with just the right personalities and the right mix of talents. Yeah. That, you know, if you were to go through the list of where all those guys are right now, you'd be like, wow, all those guys were in the same room. It was that was a lot of fun. Um, but then financial problems hit and big idea became a stressful place to work um and that wasn't so much fun blur was was neat in its own way because it had a lot of energy a lot of youth a lot of young guys and um it was kind of like you know just a bunch of dudes hanging out um the thing is i had a family so i didn't quite fit the demographics there Mm. um but i liked working there i I was i always respected what they were able to do as a studio um and I really am thankful for the opportunities I had there to to, to do some things, to direct a short film, and, and you know, just you know, it was it was it was neat. But my family hated L.A., so it wasn't really something we could stick around with. Yeah. Um, and real effects, I went there, and um, I was I did we did some good work. We also had it was also hard, a lot of lot of hours. It was really hard. It was a studio that was growing. Mm. transitioning from a smaller shop trying to become a larger shop and those growing pains are always very hard Um, and I was in management I was the animation director and that was that was just something that was um, that was real hard (laughs) so um, but it's all about the team isn't it yeah yeah it, it it's the the studios you know for better or for worse come and go management comes and goes but the people that you work with on the floor, um, you see those people again and again and again, and you those are the people who are your friends. Those are the people you keep track of, and uh, whenever you need a job, those are the people who help you out. You know, those it's it's a brotherhood. You know, there's there's a real there's a real neat neat special bond I think there. And mm-hmm. then uh, DNA when I worked there um, on Ant Bully again, a really really fun place to work because they, you know, the project was. Was fulfilling enough. Good group of people. DNA. No, it had been around for gosh, eleven years. They did Jimmy Neutron, the movie and the TV shows. But um, yeah, we did that. It was really fun. And after being in management and going through a lot of the stress of of another studio, it was nice to just sit in a chair, 
and have them give me shots and animate. You know, the simplicity of it was was wonderful. And it was that was more true to my, you know, it was more down to what I wanted to do with my heart because I was like the old, one of the one of the old dudes. You know, I'd walk around and talk to the younger guys and just visit with them and look at their work. I wasn't a supervisor or anything. I was just kind of, you know, the old dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on. Um, you've been traveling a lot with your wife and kids the last few years. What have you mm -hmm. been up to? Um, well, we just got back from two years in Brazil. Mm -hmm. um, we after the after DNA laid everybody off after Antbully because they didn't have another movie to work on. Um, you know there was opportunities to go work at other studios or go different places, but uh, we had been involved for about a year up to that point, mm -hmm. doing some short-term trips down to Brazil. Uh, my wife's a nurse, so she was doing some some medical work among the poor down there. And, you know, she realized while we were there, gosh, if these people just had clean drinking water, a lot of the medical problems would go away. Mm. So we uh, we hooked up with a group called Living Water International out of Houston. And um, they didn't give us any money right away. We just, you know, decided, hey, we're going to have to pick up and move anyway. So let's pick up and move there. <laughs> and so we went to Brazil and the western part near um, the Bolivian border in a, in a city called Cuiabá. Yeah. And uh, we just worked with uh, the the poor folks who live along the river who don't have anything. Hmm. Uh, and we brought, you know, worked on water filters and built some medical clinics and did things like that. It was uh, hmm. very rewarding in some ways and extremely challenging in other ways. Um, it was it was two years. You know, I learned a lot. Some of the lessons I liked and some of them I didn't. <laughs> but, <laughs> so did but, you do uh, like manual labor or were you just administering that stuff? Um, a little both. A little both. I mean, my wife did a lot of the, most of the the work because you know since we were we were self supporting, nobody was giving us any money. I had to you know keep making a living, um, so I would do freelance work or I would do the you know the the classes or the the monthly videos, and then yeah. occasionally I would have to come back to the states to do a project or to do some consulting work, and then that started happening more and more, and I'm realizing okay, this we're not even living together a lot, so. You know, there was, a, there was a lot of challenges to it, but, mm. you know, so she did a lot more of the administration stuff, but we both got our hands dirty making the filters and installing them and, mm -hmm. you know, walking out on these rivers and, and, you know, just kind of pushing the pigs out of the way to install the filters and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, mm. so everybody got sweaty and got their hands dirty to some degree. Yeah. Mm. Life lesson, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Did you have electricity and computers and how was that? Oh, oh yeah, because we lived in the in the capital of the of the of the state. The state is Mato oh. Grosso. It's a big agricultural center. Um, you know, like if soybeans and um, soybeans were big, rice was big, cattle was big. Uh, it was it was like you know the capital of the big um, agricultural area of this of the country, yeah. and so. You know, it was a city of about a million people, so it had everything. You know, it had malls and and, okay. and high rises. It had poor areas too, but uh, we were able to. Um, some friends of ours from from the church we were at had an apartment that they were looking to rent out in a in a high rise. So yeah. uh, we had a fifth floor apartment, you know, uh, across from the the mall in town. Mm. So it was very much city living, but it was just you know Latin American developing economy city living, living. Yeah, yeah. so you know if you could have on the same street quite literally um, donkeys pulling a cart 
<laughs> with hay in it driving next to a Mercedes. You know, it was just <laughs> it was uh, wow. a wide gamut of things mixed together. Crazy. So, hmm. Yeah. So you did your VTSs back mm-hmm. yeah at the same time and you that's where you got money for Yeah. Yeah, that's that's how we pay the bills. Yeah. Hmm. So you do a lot of animation training and you have your video tutorial servers and now your personal your animation personal training, the APT. Uh-huh. Um when did you come up with the idea to uh teach animation via video? Um Gosh, well, I had been doing tutorials uh, on my site for free for a while, and apparently they they were pretty decent because people would use them, and hmm. and colleges were using them and oh. making it part of their curriculum. And I never never bothered me. I was kind of thankful that they thought so highly of it. Um, and you know, people would send me stuff you know, like, "Hey, could you look at this? Could you look at that? I have questions about animation." So I would, you know, hmm. I would answer as many questions as I could. Yeah. And my wife says, you know, you're spending an awful lot of time doing that <laughs> stuff. You're not getting anything for it. And I said, yeah, so? And again, things come slowly to me. <laughs> She's like, do you ever think that maybe that could be a business? Yeah. And I really, the idea of it never really seemed like I thought, oh, my gosh, that'd be so, that'd be so, I don't know, cynical, you know, because yeah. I had this idea that animation is something you love, you share it. Mm-hmm. But the workload of doing it for free had really become quite a lot. And yeah. I said, you know what? I'm putting a ton of time into this. It has value. And universities are using this information. And they don't have any problem charging people tuition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with my wife's urging, I decided to, to start it up, uh, start up the video tutorial service. Did it and, grow uh, fast? Yeah, it did. It grew, grew much faster than I expected it would. It's settled down since, but... Yeah. Do you well, have really a lot su- of subscribers that just keep keep going back? Or yeah, I have. Uh, you know, the typical subscriber will come in for you know six, seven months or so, um, and it helps them get through that. But subscribers have access to all the back issues, yeah. so they have a way of looking. You know, they have they pay a discounted price for them, but they they can get them, mm-hmm. and so they can look at things and kind of shore up their knowledge in areas of specialty. So what? What I find is a lot of times when people come in, they'll be in six to eight months, and then for various reasons, you know, they just say, "Well, okay, that was good. Now yeah. I want to do something else or I want to move on." But yeah. they always have access to that back issue store for the discount. So I find yeah. that what's happening is people who used to be subscribers will every now and then come in and buy the new video, yeah. um, just because oh they say oh that's interesting. So they start yeah. to kind of more, um, you know, pick and choose which ones they want, which is fine by me. You know, yeah. it, it works. How do you promote it? I don't. <laughs> Which <laughs> is really, hmm. yeah. I think I spent uh, fifty dollars on one banner ad on CG Character <laughs> um, back when before I started it, and I, I really just my website and and word of mouth. I really should someday get around to promoting it. And yeah. um, being in Brazil the last two years, the last year especially, I kind of kind of got tied up with a bunch of things, and so I kind of fell off the map there and. Yeah. Uh, what happens is, you know, in, in especially the online animation business now, the way it is, it's it's kind of you got to be present. Yeah. Um, people got to see you, you know, doing things, and I really haven't done much, and so yeah. in that respect, you know, the the subscriber base has kind of tailed off a little bit, but it's still it's still very, you know, it's, it's solid. So hmm. um, it does yeah. all right for us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so have you been asked to do anything for Animation Mentor or? 
Um, yeah, we've talked. I mean, it was, you know, we, we have a relationship. I knew Bobby, uh, Bobby Beck before they started Animation Mentor and, and, and had emailed, you know, Sean Kelly, you know, a number of times through the years and never had any opportunity to meet or email with Carlos Baena. But, uh, the other guys I kind of knew. So I, I had a lot of respect for what they're doing. Plus a ton of my friends were, were mentoring for them. And it just, it just was, um, since I was doing my thing, there was kind of like this, okay, you know, he's doing his thing, we're doing ours. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like they ever said, hey, you want to come do – because they re- realized, no, he's doing his own thing. Yeah. And as long as we don't trash each other, which we don't, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything's cool. You yeah. know, I'm still friends with all those guys, and yeah. I think what they're doing is awesome. I really do. Yeah. And um, I've been talking just, to a lot of the people that are that has done the, the course, and it seems like they they start to – or they they're um, – Using a lot of the same techniques as you are using now. Yeah, it it it, it depends. You know, um, they have so many different mentors who come at things from so many different ways mm. that uh, it's difficult for them to kind of be um, dogmatic and say this is the way you should do your animation because yeah. half of their mentors wouldn't do it that way. But they're very so, close to pose and yeah, right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. A number, yeah, all, quite a quite a few of them are. That seems to be kind of the. The general approach to, to animation these days, and from the initial blocking, yeah. where it really gets different is what you do after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some guys quickly switch over into CG, typical CG mode, and then other guys are more, more, you know, dedicated to keeping things in a traditional mindset. Yeah. Um, and it all depends on how you how you see the motion and how you're comfortable working. Yeah. Um, so. Because you worked a lot, you you work in step mode a lot, and I haven't met that many people that does that. I, it yeah. seems like most people go into spline and they work themselves from the hip and up, and then they, you know. Yeah, that that root root to the fruit <laughs> uh, way of doing things is actually, you know, it was that's an old old school way of doing things because you know John Lasseter back when he was doing it, the animation software was being written by the guy in the cubicle next to him. Yeah. And so that was that was the way that they could make it work back in the late '80s, and and then so when people came on to Pixar to do Toy Story, well, that's how they were taught to animate on the computer. Yeah. And when Toy Story became successful, other people said, "Hey, we want to make movies too." And yeah. then the Pixar people kind of filtered into the industry, and so they carried that methodology with them. Yeah. And that's how the computer, quote unquote, the computer way of animating propagated, you know, and. And it's still very strong, and a lot of people still learn that way. A lot of people still think that way. Um, and that's why it was so hard for traditional animators to make the jump, because they're like, this isn't how I animate. So um, it's hmm. kind of evened out a bit. It's kind of evened out a bit. Yeah. I guess um, your techniques uh, involves a lot of keys, and you couldn't do that a few years ago because the computers couldn't handle that many keys, yeah. right? It was, it was. I don't know if the computers couldn't handle it. I don't think our minds could handle it. <laughs> At least, but I couldn't see it. You know, it was one of those things where I had to learn, yeah. and I was pretty skeptical of it. But as I was exposed to traditional animators who had made the jump but carried their workflow with them, yeah. I was I was starting to see. Oh, the big difference is that these guys think in terms of drawings. Yeah. And once once that clicked. Like, oh, they're just making drawings and changing how long each drawing is held for and how many drawings are in between. It was like, you know, the whole world swirled together into a giant shining ball of brilliance. You know, it's like I could figure it out. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, I know I would, 
I had spent a couple of years talking to the guy, these guys, and they would describe, you know, how they would do things in 2D. And then, you know, being a CG guy, I thought, well, that's nice, but I'm not sure that would work, you know. <laughs> but as time went by, I saw guys kind of develop things, and I'm thinking, holy cow, it works. Yeah. So, again, things come slow to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it seems but like the, more and more people uh, sees the light now and, like, goes yeah. back to the original way of animating. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's what's really good is – is people are starting to think in terms of, of how to be better animators, not yeah. just from the standpoint of studying um, what is good animation, which, you know, is really important. And that's, you know, that's like the, the huge plus of, of something like Animation Mentor. Those guys do a fantastic job of teaching you what good animation is, you know, yeah. what it should look like, what mm -hmm. to look for. Um, they're, they're, their instructions top notch. I have no complaints about that. I think they do a great job, yep. and I have a lot of respect for their their mentors. And I think it's great. Um, I mean, as an as an alternative for people who, you know, uh, putting in a four year college isn't isn't the thing, or maybe the cost isn't their thing. Because each each way of doing things has has its pluses. Like I had done a number of lectures at Ringling and I have friends there and faculty and friends with, you know, the head of the department at Ringling. Mm. It's a great school. And for character animation, it's a really, really good program. But, you know, you have to, you have to be at a point in your life. You have to be in a place where that fits you and yeah. one size doesn't necessarily fit all. Mm. And so animation mentor is a good thing for a lot of people who, to whom a four year university program doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. And my, cheap little VTS is for everybody else <laughs> you know doesn't have a bunch of money but still mm. wants exposure to to decent animation training yeah um, so and then, it's, and then you have the next step the APT sessions yeah and that's the, the APT is really came from something where I would have occasionally uh, professional working animators or students say man you know you ever think about just doing like this just like a little boot camp like a little four week or eight week or 12 week thing where you know you can just work with somebody and and it's usually when I was working as a supervisor because of that teaching aspect can keeps coming up and as a supervisor I would oftentimes go take extra time to teach guys you know or gals you know yeah. oh, a lot of younger animators you kind of teaching them how to work and how to make things better. And, and a lot of times they say, man, you know, you ever think about doing that for other folks? And then I'd have other people say, you ever think about doing that? And then my wife says, you ever think about doing that? And I thought, you know, I should think about doing that. So, <laughs> so uh, what have you learned so far in your APT sessions? I've learned a lot about how people learn animation. Um, I've learned, you know, because I had my own experience and I thought it was just, you know, my unique way of looking at the world. But I found that the way I learn animation isn't too terribly different from how everybody else does. And uh, the thing that I learned the most is that um, we go and we kind of go in spurts. You know, we, we're kind of working along. We're, we kind of know what we know. We see what we see. We're pretty comfortable. We think we know what we're doing. And then somebody comes along and shows us something and it, it clicks and we get it. And for the first time ever, we're able to see this thing that we thought we knew, but we didn't really know. Like, overlapping action or arcs or anticipations or you know overshoot or just any number of these or squash and stretch uh timing favoring eases each of these things is kind of like you know you you, you go along yada da da and then somebody shows you something and they say it in just a way and you're at just the point where your brain goes holy cow that's amazing yeah 
Yeah. And then you're looking through and everywhere you look, you look at your own animation and you see everywhere where it doesn't exist. And you're like, oh, man. And then you look at like you go look at movies or other animation and every every time it's used, it jumps off at you and screams. And it's just like this whole whirlwind of excitement and learning. And then we settle back down into learning how to put that into use. And then we get good at it. And then we kind of settle into that plateau mode again. Yeah. And um, and as a result, you know, we just it's a cycle that repeats itself. And because it repeats itself, we kind of learn and then plateau and then quickly learn and then plateau. Yeah. And so the thing I learned is that eight weeks was, you know, half learning, half plateauing. And I thought really the plateauing was people are kind of losing energy because there's just so much – you know, so much energy that goes into into learning this stuff that you know the interest kind of waned a little bit, and people were just kind of like, uh, but they wanted to learn more, but it was just they couldn't, or they just, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I actually have a like an input on that because I mm-hmm. I've been working at a studio now for a year and doing animation every day, and once you uh-huh. start doing that, you you get into these waves where you have like uh, there are times where you are so sick of animating. And yeah. It just feels so painful and everything you do looks awful. Uh-huh. And then you just kind of climb that ladder and you Yeah. And then suddenly you get it and then it's fun again and then you have mm-hmm. a few weeks of fun. Sure. We we grow bored rather easily with ourselves. So, yeah, that was that was the thing I learned the most. Um and you know, I also learned the limits of my own abilities. <laughs> you know, there's there's only Yeah. You can only do so much, and but everybody else is, you know, all the students are responsible for themselves. I'm responsible for giving them the information, yeah. encouragement, and the, giving them the truth about where they're at. But what they do with it, it's up to them. Yeah. So how has it, it changed from the first session to like uh, session um, four that is starting up now? Well, fewer students. Um, you started up with 20 or something like that, right? Something like that, yeah. Somewhere in the range of 20. Each of the classes has been about 20. Yeah. And the, I, remember, the work... I attended your first APT session, and I remember mm-hmm. us talking about you having a heart attack. Was that... Yeah. Because <laughs> that was a crazy time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I, looking back on it, I don't know how I survived it because we had just arrived in Brazil. We were getting settled. We were getting things going on our project, getting that ramped up. I'm trying to get this program going the very first time. Lots of technical issues, ideas I had that I thought would work, didn't work. Mm-hmm. Mostly technical stuff, you know. I had this idea that we could do we- weekly web chats, but then mm. the internet connection in you know in that part of Brazil was so garbagey that you just couldn't. We couldn't count on it. And then time zone differences. It just it's a real challenge. Um, so the big the big difference is I've learned how to do what works well, and anything that's kind of even a, even has a little bit of a chance of not working well, just kind of leaving it alone. Uh, fewer students helps. Uh, a shorter session helps. It allows us to focus more and really make the most out of those aha moments. Yeah. Um, I remember re- really enjoying those uh, one-on-one sessions, but uh-huh. at the same time, it was always like some problem with MSN or Skype or, you know, so it took a lot of time. Yeah, I, I have for for the more recent class um, last year, the last one I did, I haven't, haven't done it in a year, but... Um, I did let people, I didn't make it scheduled, but if they wanted to, you know, set up a schedule and just have a chat, they just send me an email and, and we'd work it out where, where, where it would work for both of our schedules. And, you know, some of the students took me up on that and other ones didn't. Cause I, 
I found that some students really want that interactive talk face to face things and other ones don't you know they're just happy enough giving me my stuff and and um you know a lot of times it it's it's international so a lot of times um folks whose second language or even third language is english um they're not real comfortable talking face to face it it they don't they don't feel comfortable under they don't understand so they need the space the time to kind of rewind the video the feedback video and listen to it again maybe look up some words on google to translate them hey that's how i had to work in portuguese i know exactly what they're feeling like so um it's just different strokes you know everybody has a different a different approach that was the end of the show i hope you enjoyed it please read the show notes at animationconversation.com next time part two of the interview with keith lango I promise it won't be too long before it drops down in your iTunes feed reader or whatever you use to keep updated with the podcast. Please send email to feedback at animationconversation.com and until next time, have fun and animate. All right, enough is enough. This is the final, the, the very, very last straw!